Amen. Well, thank you, Doug. Hey, City Light. Man, I'm excited to get to continue to walk through the book of Matthew with you. And I thought it'd be fun to start off this morning with a question. Have you ever gotten an answer that sparked more questions? An answer that sparked more questions. You know what I'm talking about. Like, for instance, uh, several weeks ago, my friend Kara Higgins and I, we were leading a Rwanda mission trip team meeting, and we were talking about international travel. Now, Kara is like our resident expert on international travel because she's gone to Rwanda something like twice a year for nearly a decade. And so as we're talking in this meeting, the question comes up, what's the worst that could happen? This was several weeks ago, so uh, the coronavirus just wasn't on our radar. None of us thought a global pandemic is the worst that could happen, all right? It just wasn't there. Uh, so in our pre-coronavirus bliss, Kara thinks back on all her international travels, and she says, well, I did have to sit in a jail in Ethiopia for a while once. You get an answer like that, it just sparks more questions, right? You think, well, what did you do? What was it like on the inside? Like, how much time did you serve? How did you get out? That answer sparks more questions. You know what that's about. That's the kind of thing that we see here in Matthew chapters 11 and 12. John the Baptist, he was in jail, and he sent his friends to ask Jesus a question. Here's the question that he had. Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John is asking, Jesus, are you God's promised one? Are you the Messiah, or is there another one? Should we just keep looking? And Jesus' short answer is, I am. I am the one. But the reality is, in Matthew 11, Jesus gives a very long answer. Last week, Doug walked us through the first part of it where Jesus says, I am the one, but I'm bringing mercy before justice. Now this week, we get to look at the second part of Jesus' I am answer. He's going to continue to tell us that he is God's promised one. We don't need to look any further. Now that answer it was sort of divisive. It separated people. There were certain people who got excited that God had kept his promise to his people. He sent Jesus, the Savior, and they loved Jesus and they followed Jesus. But there were others that heard Jesus' answer to John's question, and it sparked a lot more questions in them. They started questioning Jesus. Hey, Jesus, if God sent you then why don't you follow our rules? Jesus, it seems like you have great power over demons. Are you one of them? Hey, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, then why don't you prove it to us? Why don't you show us a sign? Jesus' answer sparked more questions. And friends, I think Jesus' answer is still sparking questions for us today. If you've ever wondered... Did Jesus actually claim to be God? Did he ever make that claim himself? If you've ever wondered, if Jesus really is God's son, if he really is the king of God's kingdom, what kind of king is he and what would he want from me? If you've asked those kinds of questions, then you're wondering the same sorts of things that the people were in these crowds in Matthew chapters 10 and 11. So Jesus' answer mattered to them and it still matters to us today. 
And so the question at hand is, Jesus, are you the one? And his answer is, I am. Here are two things I want to highlight for you from the passage that Doug read for us. When Jesus said, I am, he meant, I am the son and I am the savior. I am the Son, and I am the Savior. That's where we're going today, so let's jump right in. Uh, There's a lot of father-son language at the beginning of the passage that Doug read for us, and Jesus is going to show us exactly where he fits in that picture. Look at how he starts. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Now, everyone who knew Jesus knew that he lived in Mary's house. Mary was his mom, and she was married to Joseph. In fact, Matthew recorded that in Jesus' genealogy. Back in chapter 1, he wrote, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. It's like a nice family picture. There's mom and pops and bouncing baby Jesus. That's the family. Jesus grew up in Joseph's home and even learned his trade. But here... When John says, are you the one, Jesus says, I thank you, Father. And when he says, Father, he is not talking to or about Joseph the carpenter. He says, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now that's an identity statement if I've ever heard one. Jesus is telling us who the Father is. He's the Lord That word Lord means the owner, possessor, master, or sovereign ruler. So the Father is that kind of Lord over all of heaven and earth. Everything, everywhere, every when, the Father is Lord of all of it. And so when Jesus says Father, he's talking about the creator, God, and king of all that was and is and is to come, Israel's one true God. That's pretty amazing. That's Jesus' Father. But Jesus, after he says Father, he doesn't leave us just wondering hey, or, or trying to uh, implicate, if Jesus called him the Father, then Jesus must be the Son. We don't have to make that leap. He wants to make it clear to us, and he's going to. Here's how Jesus continues. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. It's like an inheritance, the Lord of heaven and earth, the only one who has the ability, the right to give all things to Jesus, has given all things to Jesus. It's like an inheritance from a father to a son. Jesus says, God has given all things over to me. That's my father. That for Jesus, father is not just a title that he's using for God. It's personal. It's relational. Jesus relates to God like a son relates to his dad. And he goes on and he gives us this peek into the depth of their relationship, the span of it that goes beyond time. Jesus continues, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except knowledge of each other. They've seen each other. They recognize each other. They know each other's character and ways. They go way back. They're tight. They're close. So close, in fact, that Jesus says, no one else is in the circle. God is the Father. Jesus is the Son. That's a spectacular claim, right? 
Like, I know Jesus claiming to be the Son of God feels normal. It almost feels common to hear that preached in a church today because it's been preached for thousands of years. But if you put yourself in these people's shoes, this was a radical claim. To the Jewish folks on the ground in this crowd, it would have sounded like blasphemy. How could the poor, simple son of a carpenter call himself the son of the Almighty God? Man, they took offense to that. And I think there's still people who take offense today. Like Muslims, they reject the idea that God could have a son. That just couldn't ever happen. Why would Jesus claim that? It must be false. Hindus, they reject the idea of a divine nature exclusive to the Father and the Son because they believe that there are many, many gods. Divine nature is not exclusive to, those, uh, to just them. Atheists, they question or reject the idea of God altogether. And so the claim that you're the Son of God, at best, that's crazy, and at worst, it's manipulation. Jesus is making a bold claim here. And he goes on to tell us why it matters. Why he would risk offending people. Why he would make a claim like that. Jesus tells us why it matters that he's the son of God. It matters because only the son can reveal the father. Here's how Jesus said it. No one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son and Praise God for that, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Friends, Jesus came to reveal the Father. This relationship that was exclusive since before time began, since before you or I ever walked or took a breath, now is revealed to us. Jesus opens the door to the Father. He's saying he's not just another prophet with a word from God. Jesus is the son of God made flesh to dwell among us. Jesus says the only way we get to know the father is when he, the son, chooses to reveal him. In other words, the only way to the father is to know Jesus Christ. Now again, this doesn't land well on everyone. In our day, feels more loving to believe that there are many paths to God, right? That feels more loving. At a distant glance, all these different paths sort of seem the same, right? So why not just let everybody pick the path that feels right to them, that that means the most to them, and just leave it at that. Let it be. You live your truth, and I'll live mine. That's sort of the reigning attitude of the day. But if we look at Jesus' words, they just don't flow with that current. Jesus says no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That that means that we don't get to pick our own path. We don't get to choose another way because there is only one way. You cannot know God, the Lord of heaven and earth, unless you know Jesus Christ, his only son. That's the claim Jesus makes. And friends, that would be intolerant 
and unloving unless it's true. Right? If, if it's true that Jesus is the only way to know God, and he's the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven, and he's the only way to experience the fullness of life that we were created to know. And he's the only way to find forgiveness for your sins and relief from the burden of your guilt and shame, the debt of your sin. If Jesus is the only way to know God and be right with the Father, then it's not intolerant or unloving to spread that truth at all. In fact, the most unloving thing you could do would be to not tell anybody. And let those around you live their lives having never heard the truth about Jesus Christ. Do you see the contrast with our culture? Culture says there are many ways to find meaning in this life, to live your truth, so don't limit me. But Jesus in love says no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so John asked Jesus, are you the one or should we keep looking? Are you the one or is there another way? Jesus answered, I'm the one. I'm the son and the only way to the father. Amen? Amen. That's good news. All right? So that's how he starts. I am the son. He's going to give us one more dynamic to this I am the one answer. It's, I would summarize it. I am the savior. Okay, now track with me here. I know I'm taking a little liberty. Jesus doesn't use the word Savior in this text, but he's doing the work of the Savior. Okay, that's who he is. Back in Matthew chapter 1, the angel of God said to Joseph, she, that's Mary, Joseph's wife, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So what will Jesus do? He'll save his people. And what will he save them from? Their sins. And what will that look like? How will we experience that? What will that mean for people like you and me? Well, friends, I think the rest of the book of Matthew just unpacks all kinds of ways that Jesus' saving grace plays out in our lives. But our passage today has a laser focus on one. And that focus comes in the form of an invitation. When Jesus says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that Jesus, the Son of God, the King of God's kingdom, is speaking these words right to you. These are Jesus' words from the Bible, so listen to them intently and hear Jesus speaking them to you. This is what Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that incredible? What's it like when we come to Jesus? He gives us rest. Rest, soul level, deep, penetrating rest. It's what we all long for, right? Remember the kind of people that Jesus was talking to here. There's the people of Israel, God's people, who had received both God's promises and his laws. 
God had told them that he would one day send them a savior to save them from all their sins. But until that day, until that promise was fulfilled, they were following the law. They were working hard to save themselves. And when I say they were working hard, they were working really hard at it. Like the religious leaders of the day, they had looked at God's law in the Bible and they had added extra laws on top to make sure that you would never come close to disobeying the original laws. It was laws on top of laws and rules on top of rules and they built it up and up and up until it was a heavy burden to bear. Hard work to do. In fact, Jesus would later accuse these leaders saying, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. That's in Matthew 23. Jesus says the weight of rules and regulation and religion, it feels like a weight weighing down on your shoulders, like a yoke, like that heavy bar that's put over the shoulders of an ox so that it can pull a plow or a cart. Have you ever felt weight on your shoulders like that? Weight of rules to follow, weight of expectations to meet, weight of responsibility that must be maintained. I remember when I was a kid at church, uh, an old man walked up to me one day and he said, Good Christian boys don't smoke or chew or date girls who do. <laughs> Which, you know, is kind of clever and concise and memorable. I still remember it today. Uh, not a terrible message, but you know what that message was? Good Christian boys follow the rules, and they know the do's and don'ts and the lists of what they must achieve to be a Christian. I, I was taught that there is a yoke of religion at an early age. And if you walk down that road, it's marked by guilt and shame for all of your failures, all of the ways that you can't measure up and you can't get it right. It becomes heavy and harsh and hard to bear. Have you ever experienced a weight like that on your shoulders? Well, Jesus looked out at people just like us, carrying that weight just like we do, and when he looked at them, he said, come to me and I will give you rest. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, come to me because I see you when you're sleeping and I know when you're awake and I'm ready to call you out on any mistake you make. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, come to me and I'll coach you up. I'll help you become the best uh, version of you, the best you can be, so that you can meet every expectation and fulfill every responsibility on your own. Jesus doesn't say, come to me and I'll coach you so you can live your best life. In fact, Jesus doesn't put any weight on you for that at all. He says, come to me and I will give you rest from that burden. I will carry that weight. I'll give you rest for your soul. I'll save you from all of that. That's Jesus' invitation. Now, Jesus says the yoke of religion is heavy, but his yoke is light. And Pastor David Platt helped me kind of understand the dynamic that would have been at play in Jesus' time. He said farmers in those days would oftentimes use a double yoke. And they would yoke up an older, experienced, stronger ox 
with a younger, inexperienced, weaker ox. And when they yoked them together, you know what happened? The bigger, stronger, experienced ox would do all the hard work. It would pull harder. It would listen to the master's commands. It would obey the master because it knew what to do. And you know what the younger ox did? It just learned. Oh, that's how to pull a plow. When that voice calls out, that's where I'm supposed to go. When he gives that command, I stop or I go or I turn. Younger, the older, experienced, stronger ox did all the hard work. The younger one just learned. Now, we know what that's like, right? We've experienced things like this. The closest thing I've ever experienced is uh, back when I was in high school. I was a freshman uh, playing football. Now, I went to a tiny high school in Stanton, Iowa, but we had a pretty good football team. A local newspaper wrote an article that said small colleges would be envious of our line, the big guys up front. We had some big, tall guys on our team. I was not one of them, okay? I measured in at barely five feet tall and tipped the scales at 98 pounds, all right? I checked in at scrawny. But our team was really good, and so one week we were under the lights, Friday night, a couple minutes left in the game, and two mi- we were blowing out the other team. And to my shock and horror, I heard the coach say, Wiggums, go in as guards. <laughs> you know what that means? That means that my twin brother and I, the two littlest guys on the team, took the field and lined up with the biggest guys on the team. It was a sight to see, all right? It was a big, tall, strong tackle and a little tiny Wiggum guard. And then a big, tall, strong center and a little tiny Wiggum guard, and then another big, strong, tall tackle, okay? And the center must have seen just the sheer fear in my eyes as I took the field because he looked at the defense and he growled, if you touch either of them, I'll kill you, (laughs) okay? So then he snapped the ball, and you know what happened? Nobody touched me. (laughs) I just stood up. Yeah, stay back. That's right, because the big guys were on my team. They were doing all the hard work, and I just got to watch. I just got to see it all. I got a front row seat. Friends, that's the kind of thing Jesus is getting at when he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You yoke up with Jesus. It's like yoking up with a big, strong ox or a big, strong lineman. Jesus does all the heavy lifting. He already knows the Father's voice and he reveals it to us. He knows how to obey the Father's commands and he accomplishes that in us and through us. He's got the power and the authority to get victory over our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death. And friends, he did it for us. Jesus' invitation is come to me and I will give you rest. Friends, yoke up with Jesus and be saved from that burden. Get rest for your soul. John asked, are you the one or should we keep looking for another? And when it all boils down, Jesus answers, I am. I am the one. I am the son of the father and the only way to know him. And I am the savior of mankind. All who come to me will find rest for their souls. 
I think it's pretty fitting that we landed on this passage this week. Because I think a lot of us are asking questions right now. Maybe uh, the most practical question is, how does taking on Jesus' yoke give rest for our souls in the midst of a pandemic? How does taking on Jesus' yoke give rest for our souls on a day like today, in a time like these times? I think if we're honest, many of us have souls that are not at rest. Some fear that the worst is yet to come, that we're on a brink of a disaster, and because of that, uh, your soul's not at rest. Others are frustrated with the scale of the response. That frustration just kind of boils in you, and you're soul is not at rest. Still others are just trying to get through each day, trying to figure out how am I going to continue. Like at my city group last week, a friend of mine told me that he's nervous because his employer is sending home anybody that has any symptoms related to the virus. And if you get sent home, you get sent home without any sick pay. And the only way to keep working, the only option to maintain your paycheck is to pay $900 to get a test uh, for the virus, and you got to get a negative result. And so if he were to catch even a common cold, he's got a choice. You either forego your paycheck until you're healthy, or you pay $900 for a shot at getting to continue to work. He just wants to get through the day, right? Figure out how to continue. Soul's not at rest. And so the question is, how does yoking up with Jesus give rest for our souls in days like these? I want to give you a few thoughts from the book of Matthew, the chapters that we've been studying together these last few weeks, okay? Um, number one, Jesus acts with compassion. You can rest because Jesus has compassion for you. Look at Matthew chapter 9. This is verse 35 and 36. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, Jesus is a healer, so that should give you some rest right there, but we're going to go on. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He saw them, he had compassion, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Friends, Jesus walked on this earth, and the crowds that he saw had diseases, all right? Not the same ones that we have today, but diseases no less. They had their own thing going on. And you know what happened when he saw those people? He had compassion for them. They were harassed by disease. They felt helpless to do anything about it, and Jesus had compassion. And I want to tell you today, he's got compassion for you too. And so if you feel harassed by thoughts that keep you up at night, give those to Jesus. Ask him to give you rest. If you feel helpless because all of this is out of your control and you don't know what step to take next, give that to Jesus and let him give you rest. All of your fears, all of your frustrations, Jesus can handle it. He's seen it before and he has compassion for us even in times like this. And so friends, we can rest because Jesus has compassion for us. And that means we have an opportunity to show that compassion to the world around us. But I'll pick up on that in just a moment, okay? Before that, we'll go on. Jesus acts with compassion, and Jesus acts against fear. So if compassion drives Jesus, Jesus drives out fear. 
in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus climbed into a boat with his disciples. He went below deck and fell asleep. And then a great storm came up. It was whipping the boat around. The disciples panicked. The boat was swamped by the waves. The disciples found Jesus, shook him, woke him up, saying, save us, Lord, for we're perishing. You get the idea that they are soaked and, uh, and seasick and scared. Chaos is reigning around them and within them. But Jesus didn't panic. You know what Jesus did? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? And the disciples were scared, and Jesus had to ask them why. He knew, my Father is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he's given all things to me. That means Jesus wasn't panicked when the storm came. He wasn't unaware of what was happening. He wasn't caught off guard by the storms of the world. There was no fear in him, and he didn't want his disciples, his friends, to fear either. So City Light, in the midst of today's panic and chaos and fear, would you hear Jesus' words? Don't be afraid. Let your soul marvel and rest in the one who does not panic when chaos comes. So, Jesus acts with compassion and against fear. If compassion drives him, he drives out fear. One more observation. Jesus moved toward those in need, not away from them. Led by compassion, without fear, Jesus moved toward those in need, not away from them. Jesus touched the leper. He touched Peter's mother-in-law when she had a fever. He touched the bodies of people who were so sick they'd either just died or nearly died. Friends, hear this. If we're yoked in with Jesus, he will lead us into those places too. Jesus put his love and compassion into action and he then led his followers, he sent his followers to do the very same kinds of things. So of course, we do our best to be wise. We do our best to take precautions that limit unnecessary risk. It is right and good and okay to do those things. We should. But all the while, we're asking Jesus. We're yoked in with him, asking him, hey, what is the Father saying? Where is he leading? Jesus, where are you going? What are you doing? Who is your heart breaking for? Who are you leading us to? When we're yoked in with Jesus... We do what he does. We learn from him. And we take rest in the fact that he does all the hard work for us. Amen? We can rest that Jesus leads us. Friends, fear will keep you away. Jesus will send you in. Friends, frustration will, will foster bitterness. But Jesus will foster compassion. He moved toward those in need, not away from them. That means there are opportunities in days like today. When schools close, kids will be hungry and we can make meals. 
There are people in our community who are at higher risk, older, uh, the older generation and people with underlying illnesses and conditions. They might need some of us who are less at risk to do grocery runs and pharmacy runs. We can care for them. If people lose their jobs, they might need help and we can bridge that gap. Friends, Jesus moved toward those in need, not away from them. And we can do that too. We can put his compassion on display. And so City Light Council Bluffs, look no further. Jesus is the one. He is the Son of God and the only way to know the Father. And he is our Savior. All who come to him will find rest for their souls. That's a promise we can embrace today and all our days. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Awesome God, I thank you that when Jesus was asked a hard question, one that he knew would divide people, he did not uh, shrink back from the truth, but he stated the truth boldly. I am the one. Look no further. And so God, today we just want to look to Jesus, the Son, Knowing that there's no other way to you, oh God, would you show us more of who Jesus is? And God, we want to depend on him as our savior. When the weight of the world is on our shoulders, when we don't know where to go next, where you're leading, what your voice sounds like, in the midst of all the voices that are calling out to us, oh God, would you yoke us in with Jesus? That we might follow him and know your voice Know your rest, know your compassion, know your love today and all of our days. And God, I pray for those in our family, in our community, who are experiencing great fear. Jesus, there have been many times throughout history where fear has gripped your people. And yet, over and over again in Scripture, you invite us, do not fear. You invite us to look to you, the one who sits enthroned over all the things that happen on this earth, the one who's not caught off guard. You invite us to not fear. And so, see, Light family, would you give your fears to Jesus? That can just look like prayer. Jesus, I'm scared. I don't know what to do next. Come to him and he will give you rest. Jesus, I want to pray for those who are frustrated with the scale of the response where in these moments, uh, the way that they see what's going on in the world just doesn't line up with the way others see what's going on in the world. And that frustration sets in and bitterness can grow in that environment. And so God, I pray that you would protect our family from bitterness. Would you give us a sweet unity that comes only when your hand is up on us? Oh God, would you save us from frustration and bitterness? And lastly, God, I just know there are many in our community that don't know the only one who can give rest to our souls, that don't know you. And so, Jesus, would you put your name on our lips and in our hearts? Would you lead us toward those who are most in need, not away from them? Jesus, would you show us who you are and where you would go, and would you use us to put that on display to a watching world? Jesus, would you get the glory through us today? And forever we ask in Jesus' name, amen.